Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. Which you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. But you know what is actually threatening our suburbs? Wildfires are burning the suburbs in the West. Floods are wiping out suburban neighborhoods in the Midwest. Hurricanes are imperiling suburban life along our coast. If we have four more years of Trump's climate denial, how many suburbs will be burned in wildfires? How many suburban neighborhoods will have been flooded out? How many suburbs will have been blown away in superstorms? If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, why would anyone be surprised if we have more America blaze? So we've got to have a massive legal operation. And I know the Biden campaign is working on that. We have to have poll workers. And I urge people who are able to uh, be a poll worker. We have to have our own uh, teams of people to counter the the force of intimidation that the Republicans and Trump are going to put outside polling places. This is a big organizational challenge, but at least we know more about what they're going to do. And, you know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch and if we are as focused and relentless as the other side is. I think Hillary's a sick woman. Honestly, she's deranged. She's remember the famous debate where she said, will you, you know, respect the wishes of the voter? I didn't say yes or no. I didn't give her an answer. But it was like, you know, she was saying you must respect. She didn't. She lost. She wanted to get it again this time, as you know, and she got defeated then, too. She wanted it very badly behind the scenes. She worked. She wanted to be vice president behind the scenes. Hillary's a sick person. She should just take it nice and easy, relax, go out, vote. Maybe she should go to the poll instead of sending out an unsolicited ballot. You're going to do, let's say there are there are threats. They say that they're going to threaten riots if they lose on election night, assuming we get a, 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 a winner on election night. What are you gonna do? We'll put them down very quickly How if they do, do that? that. We have the right to do that. We have the power to do that if we want. Look, it's called insurrection. We just Insur send in and we, we do it very easy. I mean, it's very easy. I'd rather not do that because there's no reason for it. But if we had to, we'd do that and put it down within minutes, within minutes. It's Tuesday, September the 15th, the year of our Lord 2020. This is War Room Pandemic broadcasting live from Capitol Hill. Jack Maxey, Raheem Kassam, our special guest in studio. One American News is Jack Posobiec. Episodes 
387 and 388. Guest Bill McGinley on the line. Over to Stephen K. Bannon. Huge. We want to start off with a cold open today. You see the stakes. You see the rhetoric. You know, President Trump's a climate arsonist. If Joe Biden wasn't more over the top, the one thing that was good about Biden is the first time I seen him kind of awake. He was chewing the scenery, as you say in Hollywood, right? Floods, biblical, you know, where the locusts are going to come and take down the suburbs. That's a campaign that's nervous, calling Trump an arsonist. And then you see the key thing, and we're going to play it over and over and over again. It's Hillary Clinton. Under no circumstances is Joe Biden. He's under orders. Under no circumstances will he concede when he is defeated definitively on election night on November 3rd at about 10 or 11 o'clock. They're going to drag this thing out. They've already got, you know, President Trump's talking 80 million ballots. We're somewhere between 60 and 70 million ballots. Uh, today, there's all kinds of stories about uh, the big six. That would be Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Arizona, and of course, the most important, Florida. You know, we're in constant contact now with lawyers that lawyers for Trump is, is, is teamed up. Yesterday in the New York Times, Joe Biden tries to copy what you hear every day here on uh, on America's Voice, and that is the war room. He sets up a war room with his lawyers, talks about uh, Eric Holder is going to be in charge, a bunch of former uh, U.S. attorneys, uh, Perkins Coy, a big law firm they retain. Uh, so they're, they're all set up to fight this, as Hillary said, a massive, massive show of force as far as lawyers go. It couldn't be clearer that this is going to go down to a fight. That's going to end, I think, shortly before high noon on the 20th of January, the year of our Lord, 2021. Okay, we're going to get into it all. We wanted to also say that uh, yesterday, the explosion on Dr. Yan on her paper, she started a Twitter account, I think, at 8 o'clock in the morning. She finished last night with 56,000 followers. And Twitter, we're going to have Zach from the whistleblower movement and from the new federal state on here later in the show talk about how they try to suppress it. The stories all over. There have literally been hundreds of stories about her report all the way from India to Europe to Latin America, uh, throughout the world, United States, Canada. We're going to talk about all that. Jack Max is going to give a breakdown as Dr. Yan, our one and only Dr. Yan, gives an exclusive tonight on Tucker Carlson. So we'll be previewing that and teeing it up. I want to turn now to, uh, to Bill McGinley. Uh, we're on the John Frederick Radio Network, America's Voice News. That's Dish Channel 219. And, of course, Newsmax TV and 70 Million Homes. We're on Pluto, Raku, G News, GTV. want to thank the support of all the folks in Mandarin every day uh, that are blowing out. Uh, I saw where Dr. Yan was actually interviewed on Rudy and Dr. Maria Ryan. We've had Dr. Ryan on a bunch of times. They On their WABC radio show, I think it had 500,000 uh, viewers in, in China. And May, those are VPNs. Somebody told me it was tens of millions. And actually, Rudy threw down on Beijing, and, uh, and heads were blowing up over there. So I want to bring in now uh, Bill McGinley. we got a lot to get through on this show today. Jack, uh, Jack Posobiec in the war room with, uh, with Raheem and Jack Maxey. Uh, so, Bill, you were the first guy two months ago to come on and warn the Trump movement, and I think really warn America about what was to happen. You were, you were the wake-up call. Then right after you were on, the Transition Integrity Report came out, and it's been, it's been crazy since then. Walk us through today, particularly the Joe Biden war room. You know, Joe Biden copying the folks here uh, on, on Capitol Hill. And we're, of course, live in New York today. Walk us through what Biden's doing. What should the audience understand about what Joe Biden is now doing? And particularly the group of solicitor generals, U.S. attorneys, Eric Holder, a former attorney general. What's going on here? Basically, what they're doing is they're setting up a traditional account 
structure uh, that most presidential campaigns will set up. And the legal component is just one, one leg on that stool. Um, they're also going to be standing up a dedicated comms department that's going to help them message through the pre-election, election day, and post-election litigation. I'm sure their finance teams are beginning to ramp up um, and solicit recount funds that they can use for the post-election uh, litigation. I'm sure that their political shop is helping to line up bodies um, that will be able to man the counts and be able to observe the counts since they're the ones that are going to serve as witnesses and swear out the affidavits in any litigation. Um, former AG Holder, um, identified in the story, is basically going to be the primary liaison to like-minded groups, which means that they're going to be fully coordinated uh, between the Biden legal team and all of the lawsuits that they're doing with a lot of their uh, Democratic and soft money allies on the outside that are bringing their own lawsuits uh, to try and advance um, their cause uh, for this election day. Look, this is going to be a scorched earth contest legally um, if it's close. And I think that the Democrats are setting up the structure, manning it with quality people. It's a very good team on their side. It's some of the best people that they have. Um, they're getting ready for a long slog um, up until election day, on election day, and as long as it's going to take uh, for them to try and prosecute their case to get all uh, to get their uh, their their candidate across the finish line. Talk to us about before the rest of the guys jump in. Talk to us exactly what that long slog is. Talk to us about what's happening now particularly in these six states. What's happening now? Where do the lawyers come in? Where does election law come in? What happens on election night? And then where's the battle thereafter? Look, if you look at the lawsuits that they're starting to file pre-election, what they're doing is they're going back and they're reviewing the historical data about absentee ballots, mail-in ballots, et cetera, looking for the reasons why these ballots are typically uh, excluded. Um, signature mismatch. Uh, the ballot doesn't arrive by election day, but comes in 72 hours late. Um, any of the other insufficient postage. If you look at the lawsuits that they're, that they're filing, what they're trying to do is they are trying to ensure that they can capture as many of those ballots um, as possible. Um, they've got a good factual predicate to walk into court. They're saying, look, this is a historic pandemic. People are concerned about their health. They're going to be voting by mail. We shouldn't penalize them for it. They've voted in accordance with the, with the guidelines, but through no fault of the voter, um, these ballots are being excluded. So the pre-election litigation is going to be all about the signature mismatch, um, the delivery dates of the absentee ballots or the mail-in ballots. On election day, um, if we have some of the typical breakdowns at some of the polling places, you have four machines where people can vote. One or two of them are down and the lines going around uh, the corner a couple of times, they're going to walk into court and say, extend the polling hours. And every judge that gets that lawsuit is going to grant that. Um, Post-election, there's going to be some states, such as the big three up in the Midwest, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, that aren't even going to start counting their mail-in ballots or their absentee ballots until after the polls close on November 3rd. In which case, you're probably going to see some lawsuits and just legions of lawyers um, swarming into those states to help observe the counts to make sure that they're being proper, uh, properly conducted. Uh, full transparency is the key. I expect there to be numerous lawsuits there um, because counties sometimes don't always follow the same rules. And then after that count is done, if it's incredibly close, if it's with 0.5 a percentage point or 1%, depending upon the state, um, you could see recounts. I mean, the greatest example is look at Florida 2018, Senator Rick Scott re-election. I think he was up 30-some thousand votes. 
Democrats filed for a recount. That is not the traditional margin um, that you use to file for a recount. Typically out of millions cast, it's gonna be a couple hundred, maybe 2,000 at most or 1,000. Um, so they were obviously pressure testing the system and trying to see what they could, uh, could do uh, to try and learn as much as they can about the Florida system as it exists in 2020. This has been a long process on their side. They've been very smart about it. They've been thinking strategically, clearly playing chess. They were thinking about the issues they need to tackle now. Um, they've been laying the groundwork now for a couple of years, uh, definitely for a couple of months. I think there's over 200 election lawsuits that are uh, being prosecuted right now. And so, you know, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, this is a time where, you know, the Trump campaign and the RNC and the state parties need to, to step up, recruit their lawyers, make sure they got a quality legal team in place um, so that they can uh, look out for the president and Republican Party's interests. I think we only got a couple of minutes left here. I know the other guys want to jump in here, but I got a question. How, how, I think the audience is shocked when you say there's already 200 lawsuits. Are they, are they, they're looking at this as lawfare, right? This is not even about a fair election. This is, they're just trying to bring a uh, liberal and progressive judges into this. Talk about, how did they have 200 lawsuits already? We're just starting, we're just starting to do some uh, mail-in votes right now. Yeah, look, as Rahm Emanuel famously said when he was White House Chief of Staff, I think it's when he said it, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. I think the Democrats have been looking for election reform for some time. Uh, the pandemic presented the perfect opportunity for them to press the case. Uh, where legislators and legislators and the secretaries of state were not willing to accede to their demands or how they wanted the election to be conducted, and they couldn't get anything through Congress, um, they're going to courts to, to seek relief. Perfectly viable uh, strategy on their part, something that the Republicans uh, should, should have been doing um, if we were in the same boat as the Democrats. Look, they are putting together a very smart operation. They're understanding that the, that the seamlessness and the full integration of comms, fundraising, admin, political, um, and, and the legal shops um, need to be fully coordinated. And this is going to be state by state. So it's not just going to be a group of five to 10 lawyers sitting in a, in a, in a conference room with a whiteboard. This is going to be done state by state. They're going to be coordinating on a mass scale um, to make sure that they have the resources and the personnel in place prosecuting their case um, in each of the districts, each of the precincts, and in each of the states that matter. Steve, we got 20 seconds here. I'm gonna take us out to yep. break. Bill, you yep. we got Bill hanging over for the for the next segment. We'll be yes. back we'll be back. More war and pandemic. Jack Posobic, Jack Maxi, Raheem Kassam here on Capitol Hill, Stephen K. Bannon, Bill McGinney, you've got an all-star cast here today. Don't go anywhere. War and pandemic returns. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. A mirage, by definition, is something that appears to be there, but that doesn't really exist. And you have a model scenario called the Red Mirage. What does that mean? The reason we talk about a red mirage is, in fact, because we believe that on election night, we are going to see Donald Trump in a stronger position than the reality actually is. Yeah, the reality, the reality is going to be he's going to have 424 electoral votes. That's what we're talking about. This is going to come down to legal 
media and street muscle, right? They, they have already thrown down. They're not prepared to, they're not going to prepare to back down one inch. Hillary Clinton says you're not going to concede. Uh, and they're going to fight this. Bill McGinley's told us they've already got 200 uh, lawsuits uh, regarding, uh, in, regarding the election. They're using lawfare. They just announced a massive war room with yours truly, Eric Holder, Obama's wingman. And I know National Pulse has got a great story up there, but nobody's paying attention. This is the Obama restoration. You know, Kamala Harris said yesterday, the Harris administration. Joe, Joe Biden's just a cipher here, right? He's just a cipher. He's given now, he's out giving his proof of life, uh, his proof of life walkarounds, you know, calling Trump a climate arsonist, but it's absolutely, absolutely incredible. I want to welcome back now Bill McGinley and the team. Jack, you got some breaking news for us? I do have some breaking news. It's a Guardian story that just came out. Headline, U.S. and U.K. warn travelers of risk of arbitrary arrest in China and Hong Kong. Steve, what makes this interesting is that they're now including Hong Kong in this list, and they're saying that U.S. citizens should reconsider travel. The British say that there is also a risk of arbitrary detention, including of British nationals. It looks like we're stepping it up, Steve, and I think it's high time. Uh, Jack Basobic, you're a Naval Intelligence officer, speak perfect Mandarin. This is a pretty big deal, right? I've never seen ever since, uh, since we cut the deal with Deng Xiaoping back, back in the 80s. They're essentially saying you go to Hong Kong, if you're a U.S. or a U.K. citizen, you go to Hong Kong or mainland China, they could roll you up and then you're in their, then, then you're, you're in their legal system. How big a deal is that? Yeah, Steve, this is something that you would normally see only for mainland China. You'd never used to see something like this for Hong Kong, the special autonomous region. Uh, there were supposed to be a 50-year window from the 1997 handover of Hong Kong to the PRC. Well, that 50 years ended up only being about 20 plus because now they've extended their sovereignty. Beijing has extended their iron fist throughout the territories of Hong Kong, the new territories, Kowloon. The entire area there is now coming under their direct control. And because of that, that's why you're starting to see the new crackdown on Americans going there. They're going to use anybody, you know, even if you're going there, if you're like myself who has a military background, they're going to bring you in and say, oh, this is some, you know, U.S. intelligence operative who's come in to support these protests and undermine our sovereignty here in Hong Kong when in reality what they're using is this new national security law to crack down on anyone within Hong Kong who dare stand up for their own human rights and for their own rights as free citizens. But you talk about decoupling the economy I don't know how the American financiers and the American corporatists are going to be able to go over there and not be looking over their shoulder. You know, for any reason now, the U.S. government and the U.K. government are telling you, hey, they could just roll you up. Let's get back to Bill McGinley. Uh, you heard it at the, the open here. Hawkfish, remember, Hawkfish is owned by Michael Bloomberg. Who's Michael Bloomberg? He's the guy that's going to put $100 million into the state of Florida to defeat Donald Trump. He's also the guy that Memorial Day a year ago in Singapore at the Bloomberg conference, inter interviewed Wan Shi Shan. Yes, the most corrupt guy is more corrupt than she. Wan Shi Shan is the most important person, political figure in the world when he did his interview. We'll show more of that later this week. Uh, Michael Bloomberg kowtowing to Wan Shi Shan, the Chinese Communist Party, which he's deeply in bed with. He's announced $100 million for legal, ground game, advertising, all of it in the state of Florida. He understands how important it is. Uh, Jack and Raheem, want to toss it back to you guys. I know you want to get to McGinley. Have at it. 
Hey, Bill, I know this is kind of off topic, but I was curious. The ACLU brought a lawsuit in a couple of states saying that the uh, requirement for you to put postage on your mail-in ballot, if there's not another choice, equates to a poll tax. Do you see any legs in that kind of argument? Look, I think it's going to be one of the types of lawsuits that they use to try and uh, uh, disrupt, but also make sure that um, all of their voters uh, uh, get their ballots back to the election officials on time. Um, there was a similar state where one of the secretaries of state tried to uh, allocate $3 million, I believe it was, to pay the postage to return absentee ballots and mail-in ballots, but the legislature basically wouldn't authorize the funds. Um, it's, it's something that they're going to, that they're going to litigate, um, whether a court's going to sign off on that or not, uh, is a little bit unclear. Um, but we've talked about this before. When you're filling out your absentee ballot, you need to know your state's rules. You need to read the instructions. You need to complete your ballot, uh, in a proper way. Make sure you're following the rules, um, and then make sure that it gets delivered back to the state election authorities. If there's plenty of time and do it early, um, and it can be done by mail, make sure that there's plenty of postage on there. If it's not postage prepaid, many states are going to allow you to, to drop it off at the registrar. Understand what the return rules are and make sure you get it in early. I can't say this enough. All of this stuff that we're talking about, um, lawsuits, comms, fundraising, admin, political operatives, etc., all goes away if enough people turn out to vote and reelect the president. So the bottom line to cut through all of the noise that we're hearing is make sure you vote. Make sure you take the time to own your vote by understanding your rules, completing your ballot properly, and returning it in a timely manner. Bill, um, I want to get into some of the more specifics about this as well. I've been reading one of the Transition Integrity Project's books that they rely on. It's called Ballot Battles, and I suggest if anybody likes really long run-on sentences with big words that don't need to be where they are, then they read ballot battles. Um, it, is a, it is a real uh, hodgepodge of information about previous instances where America has had problems with deciphering in local contests and statewide contests who really won the election. And what uh, the author, Edward Foley, suggests, is it seems to suggest, I haven't finished the entire book yet, uh, seems to suggest early on is that America is lacking a European-style electoral commission. The Brits have this, um, where the, the Electoral Commission is a, a supposedly impartial and non-partisan organization. The French have a constitutional council, uh, which for all of its purposes has never actually had to weigh in on a disputed presidential election. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, even though Foley in his book is is clearly intimating that America needs something like this, rather than having politicians uh, dispute the elections themselves... The Electoral Commission in Britain, for instance, has done no end of constitutional damage throughout the Brexit process. It's staffed mainly by globalists. They really only attacked one side after the Brexit vote, uh, investigating their finances, making different rulings, uh, effectively just trying to stop the Brexit vote from happening. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of anything like that, Bill, as uh, being suggested over here, uh, but I suggest if you take a look at the Atlantic's um, reporting, the Atlantic seems to be the outlet 
that the Transition Integrity Project and all their bedfellows are using to launder their information into the into the public mind. Their latest article this morning is the Electoral College is also a climate problem. But Bill, I just want to get your thoughts on that. The Electoral uh, the Electoral College stuff, but also um, the Election Commission, the the uh, idea of having a a non quote unquote non partisan or impartial arbiter. Look, the brilliance of the founding fathers, the people are sovereign, right? We get to elect our leaders. The people get to decide, not unelected bureaucrats in a commission that are going to try and manipulate the rules and everything else. That's the bottom line. Own your vote, exercise your sovereign right uh, to get out there and, and vote. This is what's critically important. The Democrats, through all of these different uh, initiatives, whether it's the Transition Integrity Project or some of the stories that they've been, they're trying to create the impression of a spiraling vortex of election chaos, right? And at the end of the day, you get to control the outcome of this election by exercising your franchise, by by, by taking the time to do your civic duty and vote. Um, Own your vote. Make sure that you're following the rules. Don't treat it carelessly and just kind of willy-nilly fill it out. Take the time to read it, get it in, and get it in early. Because this is the issue that we're going to be facing for some time uh, in the coming months, and if the predictions are correct, for a couple of months after the election. And that is, is that we're going to have to make sure that the process and the institutions that govern our election hold, right? What they're, going to, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that none of this stuff is going to work that there's going to be complete chaos in all of this. And I'm sorry, but I'm an optimist on America. I believe in America. I believe in our elections. I believe in the right to vote, of all Americans' right to vote. And I think that we can put this nonsense to rest. Um, If everybody turns out to vote, votes in great numbers. When that happens, Republicans win, the president gets reelected. But how, Bill, we just got a a minute, a couple minutes left, but how, you just heard the hawkfish people say, hey, even if he's up 424 electoral votes, for our audience who are going to go out and vote and give Trump an overwhelming victory on the 3rd of November, what do you say to them that are sitting there and looking at now this mass army of lawyers, this mass army of media, Michael Bloomberg's $100 million, what do you say to them that even if they go out and vote, and we're going to get everybody out to vote, that somehow the Democrats are not going to concede, and by hook or crook, in some sort of legal, uh, you know, jerry-rigging, they're going to steal this election from President Trump. Never overestimate your opponent, but never underestimate them either. Um, you need to have quality lawyers, um, quality political types who know what they're doing, um, finance, comms, and everything else, because you need to protect the vote. Um, when people take the time to vote, we need to protect those ballots. And on election day, you're going to see quite a few states that are able to complete their canvas, uh, both in-person voting, absentee ballot, and whatever mail-in, plus the provisionals. There's going to be a lot of states that are able to to complete this, and they're going to go for Biden. They're going to to go for Trump. Bill, we've got to go to a break here. Just what's what's your Twitter handle for us? I think we've lost McGinley. So it's at W-J-M-C-G-I-N-L-E-Y. There you go. We'll be back. More war and pandemic in just a second. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. 
Tom Cotton is uh, t- today. I think uh, we're going to have a, a, a clip on him uh, on Maria talking this morning about p- revoking the most favored nation with China. We've already told people today in the UK, have told uh, the citizens, if you go to Hong Kong or China, you're totally playing by their rules. If they roll you up, then uh, you've been warned. But uh, I got to tell you, I think you're seeing the beginning of the decoupling, the decoupling of the financial aspect of this and hopefully decoupling of uh, technology. You know, the Chinese have already warned and, and to signal their tech companies back in the spring of 2019, they're going to decouple from the West. So this is, I think, coming towards a big throwdown between now and Election Day, Beijing Biden versus Donald J. Trump. If you don't, if you don't think the Democrats are serious, their media apparatus is telling you exactly what's going to happen. And guys, we got uh, we got Jack Basoba co-hosting, Raheem Kassam in the war room, Jack Maxey. Guys, I want to toss it back to you, particularly you, Raheem. You've been so in such great reporting at the National Pulse on all of this. I'm pretty shocked that a uh, a magazine that's always seemed like you know they they hate Trump, but to, to up until the last six months or so, they've been fairly level-headed in their hatred. Uh, they're 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 coming off the rails on, on the Atlantic and what's being reported. I mean, they're essentially saying under no circumstances will they accept a Trump victory. And I've been saying this for a long time. This is just a continuation of the nullification project. They're ramping it up now. People got to be prepared for election night, the next couple of months afterwards, get Trump inaugurated, but don't think it's going away. It's going to be every day of Trump's second term. Right. Raheem Ghassan, Jack Mack, right. Jack Posobiec, what do you think? Well, I, uh, I will come back to this at some point, but yesterday we popped the story about who's behind the Transition Integrity Project, right? This group, uh, the Protect Democracy Project, a lot of projects going on here. Um, they are run by a guy called Ian Bassin, and Ian Bassin is the former uh, Associate White House Counsel for President Barack Obama. So we're showing now how the how the plan, the plot, the steel goes right to the top. It goes right to the top of the Obama uh, administration. And Steve, you have a word for you have a phrase for this, right? It's the, it's the, but was it the Obama reconstruction? Restoration. It's the Obama restoration. This is the Obama restoration. You nailed it yesterday about who's financing this. This is all the Obama restoration. Harris is going to be the lead on this. But you just saw what they announced in the in the in the in the Biden war room. It's all Obama, you know, former attorney generals. It's his, it's, I mean, it's his former attorney right. general, Eric Holder, his wingmate, right? You've got all the, the U.S. attorneys from him. This is the Obama restoration. That's what you're talking about. And, and so that leads us on to what The Atlantic is doing here. The Atlantic is clearly the primary media partner of the, the, the coup team, right? And, and I say that because this. Go to the Atlantic website. Um, Go through their latest articles. They don't publish a lot of articles. Go through their latest articles in all their subsections, especially the politics section, but also the ideas section. So here, I'm going to give you a a snapshot of headlines that we've seen over the last week that represent a significant percentage of the output. I would say 20% of the output of the Atlantic magazine is focused on stopping, uh, on helping this coup. Number one, the the headline, the Democrats may not be able to concede. Number two, the warning signs of a combustible presidential transition. Number three, the deadline that could hand Trump the election. Number four, Democrats won't cede the streets this time. 
Number five, the Electoral College, is my favorite one, is also a climate problem. And this goes on and on. It's an attack on the norms. It's an attack on the constitutional norms. It's an attack on election night norms. Meanwhile, the media and the Democrats are getting away with gaslighting the rest of the country by claiming that Trump is the one who will refuse to, to concede in the event of his loss. And I just want to say this before I hand over to the guys here, is that I think that President Trump, if he loses, would actually... Like, there would be a, a small sigh of relief within him. You know, he often talks about uh, his life before he took on this job, his life before uh, he, he took on the, the, the administrative state and everything that has come with that. And you can tell that when he talks about it, he is very personally emotional about it. And so the idea that he would somehow cling to power, having lost fair and square, is risible. Meanwhile, you have Hillary Clinton, the eminence grease of the Democratic Party, saying, do not concede under any circumstances. Jack Maxey, Jack Posobiec. Look, the thing that I've got to throw out there, and you mentioned it as well, and, and McGinley covered sort of the courtroom fight that's going to take place that really will decide this. But we have to understand that, and one of the headlines in the Atlantic says it very specifically, the Democrats are not going to cede the streets this time around. There is the same unrest that we've seen across this country from Portland to Seattle to you know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. If you told me last week that Lancaster, Pennsylvania was going to be a scene of one of these things, we're laughed at you, throwing you out. But now they're talking about bringing this back, and it's going to be in those big six states, those swing states that are going to decide this election. You're going to see the major cities, and possibly, quite, quite frankly, it's likely going to be the specific areas where this recount, where the mail-in ballots are going to be checked, where all the election integrity project um, has focused their efforts on inside the room, outside. You've seen it night after night where they're banging on police stations, where they're challenging not only law enforcement. When they're challenging law enforcement, what they're doing is they're challenging the legitimacy of the state. And so if these actors are challenging the legitimacy of the state, they're not going to accept an outcome of an election well, where but, Trump wins. Jack, hold on, i got to jump in here. You, you said it's going to be decided in the courtroom. Look, the lawyers and the lawyers for Trump are absolutely in, in, important here and imperative. And this is going to come down, I think, to the courts. I think it's going to come down to the Congress. I think it's going to come down to the interpretation of the Constitution. This is going to have a huge battle in the House of Representatives, in the Senate. We're going to get into all the what will happen after January 6th. But as the transition, Raheem, back me up here, as the Transition Integrity Project states very clearly, it's not that they don't not prepared to see the streets. They actually think the street fight element of it is what terrorizes people to get them victory. I, I think that that's why this is so dangerous. 100%. They are signaling very let me, clearly let, that not by the way, one of the Trump people, one is a Trump organization ever been people that take to the streets or any kind of violence or anything like that, right? They they're saying not only where they won't see the streets, they're they're telegraphing and trying to socialize. And that's why I think this Atlantic article is so dangerous, right? Because they're trying to socialize the fact that they believe the streets, and I can tell you from being in Washington and in, in New York, right? These two places are ghost towns right now. One of the reasons they're ghost towns, people are afraid of the, of the anarchy and the lack of law and order. It's just not the pandemic. I mean, there's nothing going on in either one of the cities. And you remember the D.C. back in the height of it, I think back in June, right? When everybody, when everybody left. So they, I think they look at the streets and Raheem, you've done more on the transition integrity project than anybody. I think they look at the streets as their ace in the hole. Yeah. 
They absolutely do, and we've got a lot more reporting on that coming out. Uh, two things very quickly, we'll throw, throw it back over to the, to the two Jacks here. Number one, the article in The Atlantic that says Democrats won't seed the streets this time. Look at the last paragraph in there. It says literally, it may be a preview of coming events that in the Transition Integrity Project's war games of possible post-election conflict, and then it goes into state what the Transition Integrity Project says. It's a press release with a little bit of commentary around it. And Jack and Jack, I want to get your thoughts on this as well, and Steve, jump in as well. My operating thesis right now is this report started to come together in uh, December of last year, 2019. They put the, started to put this tip report together. My th operating thesis is, and you're starting to see these little tents popping around all over DC, Jack, I don't know if you've noticed that, mm -hmm. is that they actually already had the cash to a lot of these direct action groups sent in the early part of this year. And sitting on all this money is not something that the left can do. So they actually started spending a lot of it over the course of the summer. You go out there and you look. These aren't cheap tents that are popping up. These are like fancy REI camping equipment that you're seeing popping up, where it used to be like one tent and a homeless thing in D.C. Now you're getting a couple of tents there, nice ones, not homeless people living in them. And I think what they're doing is they're spending the money that they were given to do this direct action in November. They're spending it now. You know why? Because they can go back to their benefactors in on November the 3rd and be like, oh, yeah, no, we would love to do the siege of the White House and prolong it, but we actually did spend all of that money in Kenosha, so we're going to need another check, and they're going to write the other check. Gentlemen. Here's something that I'd like to say about this whole thing. This, uh, I think we have to remember that they, they did not accept Donald Trump's election in 2016. All of this is a simply an extension of their attempt to remove him from office from the day after he was elected. And this is just a continuation of that process, in my belief. I think one thing that we have to remember, and I've said this before, I believe that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have lost control of the core elements of their party. I think it is the squad that is dictating what's going on in the street. And like I've said before, I think they're doing a very poor balancing act here because either way they fall off the fence. They either offend their blue-collar traditional Democrats or they offend the mob that's in the street. I don't think that they have a good choice. And my suspicion is, and I'm going to be optimistic like Bill McGinley, my suspicion is that very many of those Kennedy Democrats cannot bring themselves to vote for the mayhem that they see in the streets. I don't believe that that the honest, good, good Democrats in the center part of this country can vote in support of the murder of policemen, as we saw this weekend in Los Angeles. And Steve, that brings us to Daniel uh, Danielle Pletka's piece in the um, in the Washington Post, does it not? Yeah, that's perfect. I want to. By the way, I want hashtag Warren Pandemic. It's on fire this morning. The live stream. I want to hear your response to what Jack Maxey just said. We know we've got a lot of the the uh, working uh, class, some blue-collar Democrats that listen to the show, the economic nationalists. Is Jack Maxey right? Will they support this? And I want to go now. What I've said, you got to bring everybody together on this thing, whether you like it or not. It's a lot of things I know that the Never Trump crowd and a lot of things that the uh, establishment Republicans don't like about Donald Trump, right? They don't like his house style. They don't like the way he, he goes about things. Uh, but, I, you know, I, my point is that it's such a difference with the radicalized agenda of what this uh, new Democratic Party is putting forward, that and to me it's very clear whether you hate them or not personally. Go back to that uh, report today in the Washington Post, that op-ed. Well, real, real quickly on that, Steve, one thing that's really interesting, and we're seeing this in Pennsylvania, we're seeing it in Ohio as well, is that these, these sort of Reagan Democrats, they're actually not changing their party registration. 
um, they're still staying in that Democrat party. These are Democrat houses, union houses, many of them. So you're talking about sort of the uh, southeastern Ohio, Youngstown, southwestern Pittsburgh area, Philadelphia, the, the Sean Parnell, Carner Lamb district. These areas, they're traditional Democrat. And Democrat, it's, it's, it's more of a, of a cultural thing rather than an ideological thing, if that makes sense, with the Kennedy side coming in. And so they're all voting for Trump, and yet you don't actually see the party switching. So that's why when the Democrat Party writ large, Tom Perez and the DNC, see all of the party switching that's going on in northeast Pennsylvania, Luzerne County, Lackawanna County, that is what's causing so much trouble for them. They know that they're scared about that because they know the the Democrats down in the Southwest are all breaking for Trump now. Not Sa- all, but sounds a lot. like sounds like we need our own war game in the war room, gentlemen, to, to sort some of this stuff out and play some of this stuff out. Maybe that could be the subject of a of a very long weekend special. Who's going to play Hillary? You. I want to um, get to the Danielle Pletka piece that's in the Washington Post. The headline is: I never considered voting for Trump in 2016. I may be forced to vote for him this year. And Danielle Pletka is a senior fellow at the very uh, neoconservative, very never-Trumper American Enterprise Institute. Big think tank here in Washington, D.C. Very powerful, packed to the gunnels with people who do not like this president and certainly do not like his foreign policy. Uh, And she says that she fears that former president... Uh, former Vice President Joe Biden would be a figurehead president incapable of focus or leadership who would run a teleprompter presidency with the words drafted by his party's hard left ideologues. Danielle goes on to say, I fear that a Congress with Democrats controlling both houses would almost certainly ensured by a Biden victory in November would begin an assault on the institutions that government that preserve the nation's small d democracy. We'll discuss this and more. War Room Pandemic returns in just a second. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. When I did the secret investigation, I just thought I should yeah, response to my supervisor, and they will do the right thing on behalf of the government and also WHO. But what I say by deeply investigation is no one responds to that. People are scared of the government, and they are willing to collaborate with China government and WHO to get more benefits, to become safe. But this is something, as I say, urgent. At that time, Chinese New Year time, big transportation from Wuhan to China to all over the world. This is a high contagious, dangerous virus. All these things make me cannot keep silence. I mean, this is for human beings, for global health. That's what I have to do. Although face to the life-threatening, I just want to deliver a message as much as possible before I get despaired. A message from Hong Kong, and that is Dr. Li Ming Yan. She's going to be on Tucker tonight in an exclusive interview. She broke a blockbuster report yesterday, highly technical, on one of these uh, one of these research websites uh, about how the uh, the Wuhan the CCP virus did not come from a bad cave. It did not come from a wet market. It came from the Wuhan lab gain of function experiments in man enhanced this is a man enhanced man-made virus and she is calling for them to be uh to be held accountable but she's putting out proof uh of this highly technical newspapers all over the world the story's exploding her first interview is going to be with tucker carlson tonight on the fox news channel i now want to go to one of the 
uh, guys have helped us out for many, many months. Uh, Zach from the uh, New Federal State of China and also the whistleblower movement. And remember, folks out there, this whistleblower movement, these are Chinese nationals. These are CCP. This is Lao Beijing. And what they're doing is telling the world about what's the reality of the Chinese Communist Party. And, and, and Dr. Yan is doing an incredible job. Zach, yesterday she didn't even have her Twitter account in the morning. She started one. I think she's got 56,000 Twitter followers. But Twitter's gone out of the way to try to suppress her. Get us up to speed on, on what's happening with Dr. Yan and social media, sir. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me on the show again. Um, so she's up to 58,000 followers now. Um, what Twitter is doing is kind of trying to become the arbiter of truth, where they have um, clandestinely determined that she's disinformation and that her... Uh, Sorry, there's a little bit of an echo there. Um, her her messaging and, and what she's posting are are not true. Um, and so what they're doing is they're they're actively reducing the number of interactions with her posts. Um, there's several videos that um that we have that are uh, people liking things that she's posted and then they take they take away the like. Um, they they retweet what she posts and they take away the retweet. Um, and the cumulative effect of this is that the message is not getting out to as many people as it should. Um, you'd think that there'd be either hundreds of thousands or, or even more people that are interested in what she has to say, um, given that the interviews she's had already have, have attracted you know, millions and millions of viewers. Um, what's happening is her message is not getting out. Uh, the Twitter preferred WHO message is getting out. And so you still have um, a lot of people that are that are believing in misinformation um, because the accurate information is being suppressed. She came from the WHO reference lab. Her, her interviews, and particularly what she did at the, uh, the Liberty University conference when she was up on stage for almost an hour. I interviewed her. I've interviewed her so many times in the show. She's been interviewed all over. Her story is very compelling about how she was the first contact with Beijing CDC and all this. Why would Twitter go out of their way to suppress a voice of someone who was actually there and has written this report, and you haven't seen really any scientific blowback so far in the first 24 hours. We've got about two minutes here, Zach. Why, why is Twitter trying to become the arbiter of what they deem to be the truth? Um, it's, it's out of a page of 1984, really. They've determined um, that Dr. Yen is misinformation, um, and so without you know putting any disclaimers on her tweets and saying you know we think this is misinformation um they've just gone full censorship mode um i wouldn't be surprised if we see the account get banned or suspended um, as they do with other accounts that try to spread information about hydroxychloroquine or uh, really anything that twitter doesn't agree with politically Zach, I just want to say, uh, you know, we're going to have uh, Dr. Yan on later in the week. Uh, she's on Tucker Carlson tonight. She's going to be doing other interviews tomorrow. I just want to say from our show and from everybody in the United States, we want to thank the whistleblower movement. We want to thank the new federal state of China. We want to thank you. You guys are real heroes and real patriots. And we know that's pressure on your families and, and everybody you're associated with. You're, you're true uh, heroes for China. You're true heroes here in the United States. And just keep up the work. Uh, you guys are relentless, and that's how we're going to get this thing. That's how we're going to take down the CCP. And, in fact, now we're going to end uh, our out song today is going to be Miles Guo's number one 
This is the number one hit in uh, in in iTunes. Un downloaded the other night. I think it was yesterday or the day before. It was number one in uh, in in twenty different countries. So Je Zach, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to look for you in the next couple of days and stay up to speed with Dr. Yan and what she's doing. Our out music will be uh, will be take down the CCP. When we come back. Jack Max is going to walk through the details of this explosive report. Is a pregame for Tucker Carlson tonight. Be back in a moment. Let me tell you what I've been through, baby. Lived a life that was hella unfair. Seen things that been driving me crazy. In the country where the leaders don't care. Didn't think we had the courage to change it. Tore it down and they weren't prepared. Everything that they kept us from saying. Now we're talking and they better be scared. Taking, taking, taking us. Tell us what and who to love. Swear I me to give a f try to tell them and they try to keep it on the hush middle finger up turn into a fist they want to keep the poor poor so they never rich if you want to see the future look into the past been a century of silence we gonna take it back i'm just stating facts tell you how it is ain't no way to change if we don't resist take it, take it, take it 